your work life, your relationships, your money, your health, the meaning of life. Welcome to How to Do Life with Marty Nemco. Hi, I'm Marty Nemco, and this is How to Do Life, and today we're going to talk money. Um, some perhaps contrarian but important ideas about how to earn it, how to spend it, how to invest it, and how to donate it. Um, perhaps the most important decision we ever make in our lives is choosing our career. And money so often drives people to uh, be, is, is a major criterion, maybe the number one criterion, for what career they choose. And it's really important to understand that it's not random that careers pay big money. They pay big money because they are difficult, require long training, are stressful, some, sometimes have ethical challenges, because if you're, they're paying you big money, they're expecting you very often to give them bigger money, as in uh, certain corporate executive jobs or financial services jobs or whatever. Um, or it's just, it's just, and it's just otherwise distasteful. So when a person chooses a career based heavily on money and the associated, quote, prestige, which is this ineffable thing that ultimately doesn't make people happy. It feels good at a cocktail party to say, oh, yes, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an executive. But that doesn't endure through minute-to-minute, day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year, lifetime happiness. And what do you get when you pick a career that is particularly lucrative? Even assuming you succeed. You know, a hell of a lot of people want to be doctors and lawyers and they drop out. They hate the, you know, let's take the doctors because I do teach in the medical school at UCSF. The undergraduate curriculum that's required to get in the medical school is rigorous. Organic chemistry, or inorganic chemistry, physics, biology, calculus, which some people find fun, but most people don't. They say, this is what I need to do in order to get in medical school. And in addition, you have to show extensive work experience that's related. So in addition to the heavy load, you've, and you've got to take all these, you've got to do this, this extra curriculum of working in a medical research lab or, or become an EMT or whatever. And, what, and then you've got to pay, uh, at UCSF, the sticker price, I think, is over $300,000 for four years. So you've got all this debt. And then there's malpractice insurance, the cost of your practice and the threat of being sued and non-compliant patients, ever more paperwork, the ever-changing healthcare system, the prioritizing on serving the, quote, underserved who are very often likely to be non-compliant, not paying, and are difficult. Let's just say they face many challenges. And yet people, because of the money and the prestige, pursue careers in medicine. I could go on equally about people being lawyers. And what do you get for all that? You typically get an amount of money, the difference between, say, an $80,000 a year job and a $200,000 a year job, that extra 120000 is taxed at your maximum rate. And when you add up all the taxes, the additional at the highest tax rate, federal tax, income tax, state income tax, FICA, etc., you're losing solidly usually half, half of what you have earned in taxes. 
So that additional money that you get from this, quote, prestigious but much more difficult, challenging career, you're only getting minimal benefit in increment to your lifestyle. So you get 2,300 square feet instead of 1,800 square feet. So you can drive a, a BMW, which breaks down more often, or a Mercedes that breaks down more often than a Toyota. It's crazy in my mind. I'm being really candid with you. And you can reject, you know, this is just one guy's honest opinion. I feel sorry for the people who prioritize money over quality of the job, ethics. And so the most important thing I can be telling you in this entire 28 and a half minute talk is think three times before choosing a career based on the money. You're far more likely to have an overall satisfied life and a contributory life. Because if a job is very contributory to making a better world or a better sphere of influence or is ethically pure, many people would like that and so employers have to pay you less. But you get the freedom of being a good guy, a good woman, and can put your head on the pillow feeling good. Some examples, I like to focus on under-the-radar careers. You know, I'm not just saying be a social worker, be a shrink, be a nonprofit fundraiser. But there are under-the-radar careers that are very rewarding, that don't pay big money, but can, you can do okay. I'm not saying you should be living in dire poverty. But my favorite is program evaluator. So much of the innovation in this society has to get evaluated either because the, the, the organization wants to grow and get better or because it's legally mandated. But it's something nobody thinks about. Being a program evaluator, great career, Google, Google Program Evaluation, Google American Evaluation Association. Another example, far more mundane for those of you who are not gonna be going and getting, a, you know, usually you need at least a, a master's degree, maybe a doctorate. Haircutter is a very rewarding career. You satisfy nearly every client. Um, and it's fun. You have a regular relationship with people. It come, hairdresser comes out and haircutter comes out near the top of nearly every uh, employee satisfaction survey. I'll try to just give one more. Um, within the healthcare space, and of course, as we boomers are, are aging, there's going to be more need for healthcare people. Thank God I don't need them yet, but I know my time will come. Um, being an audiologist. Um, or even an audi audiometric technologist and an audiology assistant. Hearing aids are getting ever better. Uh, and so you are improving the quality of life for nearly everyone. And you're not quite as subject to the, the constraints of the insurance companies, etc. You are to some extent. But there is, a, it's, again, it's an under-the-radar career. Nobody thinks about, you know, when you think about healthcare, you think about doctor, nurse, and maybe physical therapist. But something like audiologist is, can make you a good living with very few ethical dilemmas. If you, I mean, you obviously you can, you can the, the vendor for a particular brand of hearing aid can give you a spiff, which is extra money for pushing his or her brand. But you know, there's ethical temptations everywhere. I, have, I know somebody who uh, is a farmer who grows roses and I'll just say that he burned down a field of one of his customers uh, he, no, he said he burned down a field of one of his customers so he could keep the roses. And in fact, he hadn't burned them down at all. So there's ethical problems anywhere. But in general, you know, human beings are human beings. We have, we're on a continuum from sainthood to, to devilhood. And most of us are somewhere in the middle. But the point is, 
that it's really critical when we talk here we're talking about money to choose a career primarily based on whether it utilizes your best natural abilities. I'm a word guy, so I like to use careers that deal with words. Heavenly, you know, whether I'm whether I am uh, anyway, I won't have to go into me. Um, or uh, uh, or you're a, a really a great people person, a persuader, or an explainer or you are just brilliantly artistic, which is very is mostly very competitive, but there are niches that are, if you're willing to make some compromises, like graphic designer, graphic artist. We are in a marketing-centric society, and so you know, great graphic designers, as long as you're working for an ethical company, a company or product selling products or nonprofit services that you believe in, is fine. Um, if you are entrepreneurial, looking for ethical small businesses to start and see through to completion, but no when to hold them and no when to fold them because the bad entrepreneur stays on too long. Um, if you're a hands-on person, utilize that. Are you somebody who's going to be fixing robots and uh, medical equipment like MRI machines? Um, you know, just focus on what you do best because there's going to be your ultimate job security and there you have a higher probability of success. I mean, I would love to play basketball for the Golden State Warriors, but even though I played basketball my entire life and I could write a book about it, about playing basketball, I wouldn't stand a ghost of a chance. So one must know one's limitations, one's strengths, play to one's strengths, and that is your ultimate best chance for job security, job satisfaction, ethical work, and making enough money and not being subject to having so much of your 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 income subject to that unbelievably high tax rate when you count everything in your that additional income above say eighty thousand bucks. Now I want to, that's so that's those are my thoughts about earning money. Now I want to turn to my thoughts about um, spending money. Uh, I'll go kind of in order of the um, biggest expenses. The biggest expense kind of a tie, unfortunately, between. Uh, sort of a tie, between higher education, uh, especially when you consider graduate school as well, and uh, housing. So um, I guess because most people think of housing as the most expensive, I'll, I'll start with that first. Um, again, because we're so subject to prestige, people, there's a huge increment in the difference between a house or condo in a good neighborhood and one in a prestigious neighborhood here in in the Bay Area where I live in a you know a modest but acceptable middle class not dangerous neighborhood here in the East Bay say in a little town like Hayward or whatever you can get a nice condo I'm, I'm guessing I don't, these are not up-to-date figures but you know for maybe 300,000 to get an equivalent one in Piedmont which is just a few miles away which is more prestigious would cost at least double that. And that extra $300,000 almost forces you into a career that's lucrative and making those ethical compromises, those pleasure compromises in your career. So the most important thing you can do, whether you're a renter or a buyer, is to find the sweet spot between the cost of housing and the pleasure derived. Important and like a lot of people move to prestigious neighborhoods because of the schools. Well, a couple of thoughts in our society, and it goes beyond the scope of this conversation to talk about why. But actually, the total number of dollars federal, state, property tax money, etc.
go in the suburban schools, you're going to see 30, 35, 40 kids in a class. And very often, I am seeing in the inner city, 15, 18, 20 kids in a class. And brand new computers, brand new whatever, because there's all these donations from foundations, there is extra tax dollars, etc. So it's normally foolish to spend that huge amount of extra money for the public schools. And believe me, there are plenty of privileged kids, to use the current term, who do drugs, who are self-absorbed, you know, who are not exactly the greatest role models. Sometimes it is the middle, middle income kids that are the kids that ultimately end up being the best role models, and you're going to save a hell of a lot of money on the housing. The next big, the other big expense is, of course, higher education. And this is a beautiful example of where you can save the money without being shortchanged or shortchanging your child. Universities derive their prestige from their research productivity. Stanford and Harvard and Princeton and Berkeley, they don't acquire their reputation because of how well they educate people. Now, I am fully aware that having a designer label on your diploma is going to open some career doors. No question. But the question is, is it enough of a door opener to justify the enormous, often difference in cost and sometimes the enormous difference in stress? I recall a book called Six Women Who Went to Harvard and What Became It. Called, it was called, I think it was called The Best and Brightest or something. Six Women Who Went to Harvard and What Became of Them. And the, one of the statistics they cited was that the most common complaint at the student health service at Harvard is stress and burnout. Your college years are supposed to be fun. Yes, exploratory, yes, learning. But to think, you did all that work to get into Harvard, you, you did crew, you, you served, fed soup to the homeless, you wrote a BS college essay, killed yourself to get a 4.0 and take all advanced placement courses and had no life. And now you're there and you're just stressed out and burned out merely so you can have that, that, that designer label on your diploma. At enormous cost. If you're poor, you're going to get a lot of financial aid. But if you're middle class, you're going to be paying a lot of cash and taking out a hell of a lot of loan plus interest. So very often the wisest move you can make, and my PhD is in the evaluation of education and specialized in that. So I, I mentioned that not to brag, but to add a little credibility here. Even if you're a very bright student or your child is, sometimes the very, very wisest thing you can do is send them to the community college for the first two years. The instruction is better. Living at home is probably wise because very often kids away from the first, for the, you know, in a dorm in a, in a quote, four-year college, which now often takes five or six, um, is a hothouse for, you know, bad behavior. Let's just put it that way. Better for that kid to spend a year or two living at home, going to community college where the teaching is better, under your watchful eye until there's more maturation. That single decision, and then after a year or two at the community college, that kid can often transfer to a more prestigious college to finish the bachelor's degree than they could have gotten into as a freshman. And on the diploma, the final diploma, you can list on the resume or whatever, yes, I went to Berkeley or whatever. Fancy, fast, easy way to save hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay, I want to talk about other spending, but first, uh, I should let you know, um, you're listening to How to Do Life. I'm Marty Nemco. You're listening to How to Do Life with Marty Nemco. You can email Dr. Marty Nemco with your comments and questions at mnemko at comcast.net or for his articles and books, visit martynemco.com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-N-E-M-K-O.com. Now back to How to Do Life.
Welcome back. Um, as promised, uh, I'm going to talk about some, in my opinion, smart ways to spend money. Then I'm going to talk about smart ways, I believe, to invest money, avoiding the kind of predatory uh, financial services industry, and smart ways to donate money. Okay, we talked about housing and we talked about higher education, um, but there are other uh, big expenses that are worth discussing. We tend, it's like a, a woman who's had a baby would never have a second baby if she could recall all the pain of the first one. It's a, I don't know if it's biology's way of uh, keeping, keeping the population going, but it's also true of travel. When you really think about that expensive travel, that airplane vacation to some place, and the, the getting the packing and rushing and getting to the airport and and uh, with delays and being cramped on the plane, and then uh, uh, the cab driver taking you to the you know to the circuitous route, and then the hotel isn't as good as it looked in the picture, and the weather isn't as good, and you get ripped off. And blah, blah, blah. sure, there are good things in that you know eight day, seven night Hawaii, European, whatever. You get to experience other cultures. I got it, but. There are people who spend so much money on that kind of vacation, if one attached a pleasure meter to them versus the pain meter, the net pleasure is relatively small compared to small one-day or weekend driving vacations to places that you may not have gotten to otherwise. It can be more restorative. There's less craziness when you get back, back to work and have to catch up. I'd rather see you save the money and have a better vacation by taking seven one-day vacations, staycations, than the typical eight-day, seven-night, expensive, typically $5,000 a person per vacation experience. Uh, by the way, I was talking, uh, just briefly, a little addendum about the higher ed. Everything I was talking about was undergraduate. It's also true of graduate school. And one of the smarter things that some people can do is instead of spending the big money on graduate school, it may sometimes be wiser to, instead of state U, let alone private U, to attend what I call UU, which is a self-designed or mentor-designed combination of uh, reading, watching YouTube videos, attending conferences, apprenticing, etc. And if you do keep good notes of what you've learned in that, you can often send that in your applications to future jobs. And in some fields, obviously, you know, you can't do that if you want to be a doctor. You need to have the credentials. But for many fields, that dossier of your learning at UU can be more impressive than the, the piece of paper, the, M, the, the MBA, for example, um, that many people have. And deep down, employers know that teaches a lot of theoretical knowledge and doesn't necessarily translate to the real world. So I wanted to say that as another way to save money in, in higher education, not just undergraduate, but graduate. Okay, um, briefly uh, a little more about uh, big spending items. The same prestige notion about designer labels, whether it be clothing or jewelry, um, really think at restaurants, frou-frou restaurants that charge $13 for a glass of wine um, and $13 for a salad and $13 for a, a dessert with, you know, with, with a toothpick writing, making a heart in it or whatever. Of course, one time it's fine. It doesn't matter if that's going to make you happier. I do it occasionally myself. But this routine tendency to want luxury, luxury wine, fancy wine, you know, they're in blind taste testing. Very often the, the, the experts can't even tell cheap wine from expensive wine. I do blind tastings when we have parties. In, and I have a home in Napa, and 
you know, Napa's the center of wine cognizanti. And so many people, you know, I do like two buck chuck or then a $10 wine versus a $50 wine. And so many of these supposedly expert snooty wine people can't tell a difference. So, um, think about whether you're spending too much on designer labels in food, in clothing, Fakanable shirts. That are, you know, that cost a hundred bucks a piece when you can get a perfectly darn good shirt, even a dress shirt, at Walmart or Target for 20 bucks. Now, you notice I'm wearing a t-shirt here. Now, some of you may feel may lose feel I'm losing my credibility for wearing a, a, a t-shirt that costs $8. Well, those are not the people whose respect I care for. I respect, care to get the respect of people who are going to judge me on the merits of what I'm saying. I mean, I love that Mark Zuckerberg does that. He says, I don't want to waste my, you know, I've got a certain amount of emotional bandwidth and time. I don't want to spend my time uh, on clothing. So he wears a gray t-shirt every day. He's got about, you know, 10 of the same gray t-shirts. That's very wise and saves you a fortune. Now, he could afford anything, and even he realizes that it's not worth the, that silly effort to keep up with, a, be a fashionista. What color is in this year? Puce. What styles? A little wider tie, narrower tie, longer skirt, shorter skirt, leopard to look sexy if you're a woman. It's just marketing. Try to get you to part with more dollars for silly reasons. Now I want to turn to investing. So first of all, why is it important to invest? Peace of mind is the main thing. If you're not overspending and spending wisely, you have money to invest. Even if it, you know, I'm not, this is not just talking to rich people. If you could save $50 a month, even, but do it in a way that most people would consider prudent, most experts would consider prudent. I'm not a licensed financial advisor. Do not trust me if you don't want. Go see a license, somebody you trust, licensed professional. But you could do far worse. At least I will say that many financial experts would say you could do far worse then every time you have an extra 50 or 100 bucks or whatever, putting it first, usually, you know, you need a few months of, of secure money in a money market fund or a checking account, that's fine. But beyond that, investable money, putting it into, you know, not trying to time the market. If you're very risk averse, putting it into a, a bank CD, bankrate.com lists the highest yielding insured, government insured CDs in the nation of various, you know, length, six months, a year, two years, five years, um, by systematically putting your money into that or into a, like a Vanguard index fund, which are, they, Vanguard is, most experts would agree, if not probably, certainly one of, if not the most, the, the, the good guy, good gal in the financial services industry. So whether it be, a, 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 my favorite for the typical investor is Vanguard all-in-one fund. I uh, won't go into details, but it's a balance of stocks, bonds, uh, international and domestic. Um, and there are four flavors, one, some that have higher likelihood of, of making more money, but higher risk, and others that are low, low risk, um, but lower potential probably to uh, for return. By simply systematically doing that, not trying to time the market, not you get tremendous diversification in the, if you're uh, in one of those all-in-one funds and you have guaranteed, pretty much guaranteed security if you're investing in a government-insured bank CD. Um, that's the world's shortest course in financial investing, but it's often wiser than what so many people do. You don't have to worry about Vanguard stealing your money. I can't tell you how many people have lost money um, 
in sm smaller companies or uh, stay with the mainstream. They're, like I said, people tend to go into careers in the financial services industry, not because they're saints, but very often because they're money-oriented and are subject to ethical temptations. And now finally, donations. The natural tendency is for people to give donations in one of two ways, either to people who ask them for it or to those with the greatest deficit. So you see the pictures of starving kids in Africa, so there's a tendency to give the money to the starving charities that deal with starving kids in Africa. Or the most recent, and I love doggies. My, my dog is not here right now, but I have the sweet little doggie. Um, I love, had dogs my whole life, I love them. And, you know, they, the commercials try to pull at your heartstrings and they show this little dog in a cage and you can save this life. It's all certainly not a bad thing to do. But if you're a wise person, you want to not donate to, you want to donate to where it's going to have the biggest ripple effect. I want to give you two examples, and these are examples of where I donate, but it's a, a, an, examples of a larger principle. I donate money to uh, efforts to help intellectually gifted blue-collar kids live up to their potential. Rich kids' parents can afford to do whatever, and poor kids have such a constellation of problems that my money is unlikely to make and move the needle enough. But blue-collar kids, uh, they have a large unmet need, but they have you know, these gifted kids that are quite bright, and they're in a school maybe that doesn't have so many bright kids, uh, providing mentorships, after-school tutoring, uh, special summer programs, whatever. I believe that that has a lot of ripple effect because if those gifted kids live up to their potential, they may cure our diseases, build better bridges, be wiser politicians, whatever. The other thing I do is we are, you know, it's increasingly known that we are certainly part environment, but partly genetic. And we have spent $22 trillion trying to close the achievement gap using environmental methods in everything from early head start to dropout prevention programs to adult literacy programs. And according to U.S. News, um, the achievement gap is as wide as ever. Uh, so we're ignoring the genetic. And I really believe that ultimately, as long as it's ethical, I think the creation eventually of what I'm calling euphemistically an intelligence pill can be, can be a really a, a help make sure that kids start out uh, on a truly more level playing field uh, rather than starting with a genetic one or two strikes against them. So I have funded a prize at the Society for Neuroscience for the best dissertation of the year that's aimed at uh, understanding the biological basis of higher reasoning of, of this thing we call intelligence. Um, and, um, you know, again, I think those are, those are two examples of, of charities that would have bigger ripple effect than, for example, if I simply donate, let's say I donate to a disease. Well, first of all, zillions of dollars are already donating to the, almost all major diseases. Uh, my money is it would be a grain of sand on a beach. It would have no no real impact. Uh, and secondly, um, I'll, I'll just stop with that. That's why I don't like disease ones. And while I said I love doggies, giving money to the Humane Society probably is not even going to save many doggies. Oh, I want to want to talk about one that I think is the worst worst donation, which is donating to a university or anything to fund scholarships. The notion that they perpetrate is that if you do that. You will, um, you will keep, enable people to go to college. Uh, usually you're just replacing your money, the college's money or the government's money with your money. You're not enabling more kids to go to college. Now, I have to realize I have to end it up. So anyway, you've been uh, listening to uh, How to Do Life. I'm Marty Nemco. 
Um, and uh, I want to end as I end every show. Uh, I think maybe particularly important in these times. We find comfort among those who agree with us. Growth among those who don't. For comments on the show or to consult with Marty Nemco, his email address is mnemko at comcast.net. How to Do Life is produced by Marty Nemco. Post-production, Mel Baker. Music from the Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for listening.